0: Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month. It is Friday, uh, March 20th, 2020. And I date this uh, for significant reasons, for context on uh, the time when we're talking, and, and uh, obviously a lot going on in the world today. And we've invited uh, our mentor and great Crown Council research partner, Jack Fairchild, who's been a uh, great support to us over many, many years. Uh, in terms of keeping everybody healthy. And today's topic is going to have specifically to do with your immune system, uh, staying healthy, and getting healthy, especially in uh, the wake of kind of a new reality. So um, Jack Fairchild is a certified clinical nutritionist. Uh, he has been in practice for uh, many years. Uh, Jack and I have worked together. Uh, his, one of his big projects is keeping me healthy, which he's done a great job of. And I've learned a tremendous amount from him over the years. So, what you hear today, depending on what your nutrition education and background is, um, uh, Jack and I have talked about this. And uh, some things that he's going to share today were very informative for me and uh, things that might up your knowledge in terms of staying healthy, not just today, uh, but in the future. So, Jack, uh, thank you again and welcome.
1: Thank you, Steve. It's always a pleasure to be with you, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the time we have today. Perfect.
0: So, uh, as we've talked, uh, you're going to present two things today. One is staying healthy, which I think is on everybody's minds today. And then, uh, secondly, uh, in the event that you get sick, what you can do to uh, treat yourself. Of course, you're going to get uh, professional help, but things you can do to, to uh, recover faster and uh, get back healthy. So with that, let's talk about staying healthy. That's right.
1: You know, the first thing Steve wanted to mention is, is that we spoke the other day, and and uh, as you would pointed out, and I think we've all been witnessing, is that as we're watching the news each and every day, we're seeing a lot from obviously experts and politicians and whoever it may be on the screen, and they're offering little to none as far as the basic life-saving advice of improving our overall health and immune response. I mean, I I understand that washing your hands and wearing masks and social distancing and and all of that is helpful to some degree as far as offering some some protection, but none of that really is getting to the heart of what we really should be addressing, at least in my opinion, which is building and strengthening the immune system so that we can handle these types of things that are certainly going to come along uh, as we continue to move forward. So what can we do? So the first thing I want to do before we jump right into this um, is uh, kind of start with a little bit of kind of a disclaimer, <laughs> which is to say that certainly if somebody is, is not feeling well, then they they need to seek you know medical attention, especially with everything that's going on presently. But with that said, I also want to point out that... Um, This particular quote here, the health of the host is always more important than the strength of the bug. And I've heard this, I can't tell you how many times over the years, but it always strikes home with me because this is the most important thing is we need, each of us needs to be as healthy and as immune um, uh, uh, active as we can be to deal with these things as they come along. So um, the recommendations that we're going to go through are things that are proven effective, Uh, You know me, Steve, and rarely, if ever, do I just repeat something just because it sounds good. Uh, Everything I try to do is based on science and research. So the recommendations that we put together uh, really have been proven to be very supportive in the human immune response and hopefully then helping us to improve our ability to resist infectious disease processes. Got it. So we'll jump right into... You know, whenever we spoke last week about kind of putting a little something together for the Crown Council, and I started looking at this, I'm thinking, well, these are the important things, nutrition, exercise, water, sleep, sunshine, stress response, and supplementation, which is where the acronym NEWS came from. Um, And certainly, you probably knew the stress response would be in there because that's, I think, the thing I've been talking to you and the crown council about for the past 20 years so what i thought we would do is certainly hit the high points on on these things focus on nutrition maybe focus on supplementation uh, depending on how much time we have today so let's just roll right into nutrition here steve and and the first thing i'll mention is you know at, at this particular time i i do i think that it's really advantageous for any of us to take this really unique situation because we've never seen this before. We're all basically confined to our homes for the most part. And so what better time to actually begin changing and improving our diets, whether it's getting rid of junk food or cutting out alcohol or, or artificial sweeteners, whatever it may be, this is just a really good time to do it. So looking at the glass half full, we're saying let's, let's move forward in that direction. Um, certainly when we talk about nutrition, we're saying what can we do from a, dietary, a daily dietary intake to impact our immune system. So the first thing I'll mention here is controlling balance of macromolecules, meaning proteins, carbs, and fats. Now, again, I've spoke with you and, and the Crown Council many times over the years about balancing out the insulin and glucagon ratio, and that when we're able to do this, we can actually help to downregulate inflammation. Now, We talked, uh, we have talked about, I think everybody has seen in the news about what's called the cytokine storm. And this is what's occurring with the present uh, coronavirus, uh, as well as really for that matter, any other uh, viral issues in the past and or the present. So the point is, is that if the immune system gets too uh, uh, inflamed or the body gets too much inflammation, this is what's creating a lot of the, uh, the health problems that these people are experiencing. So we can actually help this by down-regulating the blood sugar insulin response. And by keeping insulin regulated, we can better balance inflammation. Uh, people may not know this, but insulin is the primary number one inflammatory hormone in the human body. And this is actually why, potentially, diabetics and or pre-diabetics are going to be more susceptible to these types of things that we're dealing with presently with this viral load because insulin is is keeping that individual in an inflamed state. So by balancing out these macromolecules, we can certainly impact overall inflammation within the body. Want to point out then that we want to consume a low allergenic, anti-inflammatory diet that's full of high vegetables, low glycemic fruits, high quality fats and oils, complex carbohydrates, lean meat like chicken, fish, turkey, venison, and or vegetable based protein supplements now the idea behind a low allergenic diet would simply be that anything that's allergenic is going to stimulate again an inflammatory response so we're thinking how can we how can we lower inflammation across the board and this is one way that we can do it are the are uh, dropping out the uh, higher allergenic type foods at the same time Anti-inflammatory foods, so we're talking about things like um, sugars, artificial sweeteners, refined flour, processed foods, genetically modified foods, alcohol, soda, caffeine, processed meats, dairy products, fried foods, hydrogenated fats and oils, all of these have been shown to stimulate inflammation. So by avoiding these foods, we should be able to lower, again, the inflammatory response. The most common allergens that we see, and this doesn't necessarily mean it's for every individual, but to be on the safe side, I would say this is something we would wanna look at, would be avoiding things like dairy, eggs, soy, shellfish, pork, peanut, and your gluten-containing grains. And I made a note here as well as avoiding all other known allergens. Oftentimes people come into the office to see me, and I may recommend that they avoid some of the common allergens, or all of the common allergens, but then they will also let me know that they, let's say, have a particular allergy response to say kiwi or something else that they eat. So if there's any known allergens, we certainly wanna avoid those as well because again, we can reduce the inflammatory response by doing such. We want to consume high nitrate vegetables, beets, celery, lettuce, radish, spinach. There's a lot more, but those are some primary ones And what these do is these are high nitrate containing vegetables. So they drive the production of nitric oxide. Nitric oxide plays a huge role in immune function. And specifically, it functions uh, as kind of a scavenger, if you will, um, of organisms, viruses, bacteria, that type of thing. So high nitrate vegetables would be a good thing to consume on a regular basis. And as I mentioned, they're not listed here, but kale and broccoli, Uh, These are some other good ones that would be uh, great to incorporate. Foods and spices like dill, garlic, ginger, onion, oregano, rosemary, turmeric, again, all shown to have antioxidant effects, anti-inflammatory effects. As well, garlic is a great sulfur-bearing food, so it provides uh, uh, sulfur to the body, and sulfur is very important when it comes to detoxification Um, So those are all good things to add into, you know, the daily diet. And then lastly, down here at the bottom, I'm going to point out that consumption of sugar or high glycemic carbs reduces something called the leukocytic index, or basically your white blood cells. And the literature shows that it can drop your white blood cells, the activity of the white blood cells, by as much as 90% within just a few minutes of consuming this so you know let's say that you have the individual that's maybe having a uh, a soda in the morning uh, to start their day uh, the literature shows that it's going to drop the immune response by as much as 90 percent and this could last for anywhere from four to six hours Wow so we're now seeing that by the time four to six hours rolls around it's it's lunchtime and more than likely that same individual is having the next soda so as we continue to eat, high sugar foods and high glycemic carbs, that type of thing. In essence, we are continually suppressing the immune response. And again, at this time, uh, especially at this time, we need an immune system that's functioning very
0: uh, effectively.
1: Questions on anything
0: there, Steve? Uh, just I, I always find every time you talk about the sugar response in terms of what that actually does, Uh, I've I've never looked at it exactly like this in terms of the the impact, the immediate impact that it has on your immune system. That's right. So in in a time when everybody's trying to protect their health, anybody that's walking around with an energy drink or a uh, soda or anything like that, they're putting themselves at a significant risk or disadvantage.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, typically they do, they do tests on this, this leukocytic index. And if I'm not mistaken, somewhere up around 12 to 13 or 14 is a, is a good, healthy reading. The literature shows that for a lot of diabetics, they may function somewhere down around a two to a four on the leukocytic index. Wow. And again, it just has to do with the fact that, that, uh, balancing sugar and maintaining it is very difficult for a diabetic. But as, as you just mentioned, it's difficult for everybody. And and again, we see it literally within just a matter of minutes of consumption of something like that. Wow. Okay, good to know. Everybody's on uh, notice. So a couple of things here, exercise and water. Now, again, a lot of this is going to be uh, pretty self-explanatory. We've all heard about exercise. We've all heard about water. But I'll hit a few of the things here that we want to point out. Um, exercise obviously has shown to help avoid and recover quicker from illnesses. We know that it stimulates the lymphatic system, which is part of the immune system. Uh, Certainly it has positive uh, uh, impact on neurotransmitters. It impacts hormone levels. But I think the key here is gonna be not to overdo it. Today, especially with the amount of stress that we are under, anything that we add to our plate, so to speak, is gonna be additional stress. So a certain amount of exercise is great, but overtraining would be something that certainly we want to be careful of because we have seen uh, in endurance athletes and people who really do a fair amount of training that it can actually have the opposite effect. But the idea the take-home message is keep moving, keep working, at kind of a comfortable level. And, uh, and of course, I always like to recommend kind of the lower impact, walking, tai chi, yoga, light-resistant training. At least do something like that to just stay moving.
0: Good, good suggestion.
1: Water, we know water is critical for cellular health. Uh, most people aren't aware that blood is 80% water. So anytime we get dehydrated, we are really affecting the chemistry of the blood. So, and when we affect that, we're going to affect the way that oxygen is transported. So as I mentioned here in this next bullet point, moderate dehydration can result in substantial decrease in strength and endurance due to the decrease in oxygen. And at the same time, as that drops, we're going to see impacts in the pH. And as we go on with our talk today, we're going to find out that the pH is very, very involved in this whole process when it comes to, number one, stain resistant to infections, but maybe more importantly, if and when they do come along for us to be able to recover from them. And then obviously we've seen, we've heard in the news that we can ac- actually, you know, wash pathogens on down, so to speak, uh, into the stomach where they're destroyed by stomach acids just by maintaining good hydration. Couple things here, obviously sleep, uh, hugely important. As I mentioned here, one of the most important variables when it comes to immune function. Bottom line is, and I think we all know this, if we've ever spent any amount of time not eating enough sleep, we are getting run down and kind of unrested. And we know that when that happens, we are in a weak, susceptible state Growth hormone is only released during deep sleep states, which is why I listed here that males should be asleep by approximately 1030. And let me clarify this, not in bed at 1030. The <laughs> ideal situation would be asleep at 1030 and females by 11 because the first passive growth hormone release that have the ability to get, doesn't mean we get it, but we have the option, the ability of getting it, comes between about 12 and 1 a.m., and if we are not in a sleep pattern for males, 90 minutes out, there's a good chance we're not gonna make that pass between 12 and one, which means we miss that first growth hormone release. And that's vital to us being able to repair and <clears throat> recover and basically be ready to start the next day. <clears throat> and I'll also mention, <clears throat> excuse me, i also mention here that some of the studies that I've read is just a small amount of light is enough to really disrupt the pineal gland and melatonin production now i don't i didn't get into in melatonin a lot in this presentation it actually serves uh the immune system very nicely but but i will mention that i read one study where what they were doing is they were applying a fiber optic light to the inside of the ankle so we're talking about just a little pin light <laughs> and what they were able to show was with a pin light attached to the inside of the ankle they could disrupt melatonin production
0: wow that's crazy
1: and this goes back to simply the way that we are created which is we are are you know based on light and energy so as that little fiber optic light is coming through at the ankle it literally is being absorbed throughout the body wow so again the take-home message here for this is saying look make the room as dark as you can um obviously cell phones and things like that ought to be turned off or or you know turned upside down or something so that we're not having you know, this light going on so we can actually get a good night's sleep. Yep. And then I think if you can, uh, you can grab about a 10 to 15 minute little cat nap during the day, if that's possible, I think it's even better. Wanna mention sunshine or also fresh air. Um, obviously natural light might be the most important environmental input uh, uh, next to food in controlling bodily function. Um, They've proven through the research that infrared light increases blood flow, it increases oxygenation, it raises the body temp. We know that sunlight's involved for producing vitamin D, and it improves the immune system strength. Um, They've shown that ultraviolet light actually uh, inactivates uh, viruses. And what I found interesting whenever I was doing a little bit of uh, uh, research on this is back in 1918 during the Spanish flu epidemic, because there were so many people that were sick, they had out outside hospital beds, if you will. And what they found out is that all the people who were moved outside were the ones that actually healed and got better. Hmm. There There's something called the open air factor and the open air factor was proven back then a hundred years ago to actually be helpful in, in recovery from the influenza. So the idea is recommended about five to 30 minutes a day of, uh, uh, you know, sunshine, I preferably, and this may get me in trouble here, but preferably without sunscreen. I okay. mean, the idea is to get the sun, get the ultraviolet uh, radiation that we want. So anyway, something we want to keep in mind. So stress response, this happens to be one of my favorite topics. Like I said, yes, talk it to is. You guys. yeah, talk to you guys <laughs> a lot over the years, but here's the bottom line. Let's run through some of this. Chronic stress taxes the body, it suppresses immune function, and it's often overlooked as a cause of disease. Roughly about 80%, 85% of all health concerns that people go see their physicians for have a basis in stress response. Wow. It's just huge. But as we've also talked over the years, it depends on what type of stress. So as I mentioned here, stressors, be it mental, emotional, physical, dietary, structural, or even genetic stressors, will cause changes in the autonomic nervous system, resulting in cortisol imbalances, which depletes mineral base, creates acidosis. So there's the pH uh, again, uh, causes hormonal changes and specifically drops immune function. At the same time, we know that with elevated cortisol levels, we're going to inhibit detoxification. We're going to increase oxidative load. We're gonna disrupt uh, things like neurotransmitters, we could cause more sleep problems, lowered pH, and all of these that I've just mentioned really impact the immune system. So that's why I I think as I was putting this thing together, I'm like, well, I know Steve and I talked about discussing more nutrition, but this is one of those factors we just can't leave out. Absolutely. Uh, We're going to see over time that excessive stress will lead to adrenal exhaustion, fatigue, and whenever we get to that place, we actually set up kind of a lowered cortisol response, which leads into another whole host of problems. But specifically, the literature is clear on this, prayer, meditation, something called EFT or emotional freedom technique, heart math strategies, these are some things that have been shown, these are techniques that are shown to specifically help to calm the stress response and balance the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So. If, if people are not aware of EFT, you can go online, you can do a search on emotional freedom technique. It's a real simple technique that you can learn in about 10 minutes. Um, easy to do. That would be something to look at. And HeartMath uh, is an um, uh, organization out in California that does some really interesting work regarding heart rate variability and how that corresponds to stress response. Got it. Uh, Deep breathing, walking tai chi, massage, singing laughter, and alternating hot-cold showers, always finishing with cold, are also very effective. These things have all been shown to help balance the sympathetic uh, and parasympathetic nervous system and uh, overall healthy autonomic nervous response. Lastly, though, and this is what I always conclude with, is the idea is one has to really zero in and try to locate and correct the root causes of the stress response so that we can really be successful in improving the performance of the immune system. And for that, you know, sometimes what will happen, Steve, is let's say I get people in that, uh, into the office that, uh, let's say they just eat a horrendous diet. yeah, And that may be the primary cause of their cortisol stress, you know, response. Then we can have people come in with, let's say, uh, uh, infections of some sort. And infection can be the cause of a stress response and then we can have somebody that just simply uh is dealing with maybe some uh you know really intense emotional issues that can cause the same stress response but as i've pointed out over the years to you guys it doesn't matter what causes it it just matters that it happens yep could be it could be anything it, it could be anything and as a matter of fact with a viral infection a viral infection itself increases if it, it actually causes a physical stress response, and it increases the oxidative load because the body is physically trying to overcome that stress, that stressful event, which is, in fact, the virus itself.
0: Got it. Fascinating. All right.
1: So supplements, I just want to point out that, it, and I think everybody that's going to be listening to this has heard this, whether or not they've really absorbed it, it may be a different story, but there is no substitute for a healthy diet. I mean, I've got, uh, have here in the office, uh, I think you've seen it, uh, a little, uh, uh, some artwork that my mother did for me years ago that uh, basically says there's nothing that the physician can do which will overcome what the patient will not.
0: Ah, and, so, good. Uh,
1: so it So it basically means that if we, are, if we are going to eat a poor diet, uh, it doesn't matter what kind of supplementation we're taking, we're still dealing with a poor diet. Yep. So now with that said, it doesn't mean that we don't still try to prop people up and maybe even ourselves up at times to compensate for maybe what we haven't been doing as effectively as what we could. But nonetheless, the the goal is let's improve diet and then let's build off of that with proper supplementation. So obviously, optimum intake of vitamins and and micronutrients is a key uh, for anyone if we're going to strengthen their immune system. There is countless research articles that have been done on nutrient deficiencies that are common to Americans. And some of these specifically include deficiencies of ACD, B6, zinc, selenium, potassium, magnesium, iodine, and even the carotenoids. And again, this goes back to what I mentioned earlier when we when we first got on the phone is that um, nothing is being reported about this in the news. I, I don't see a thing. and uh, And I'm watching closely I don't want to I don't want to say I'm watching every single day but I'm keeping at least an eye on it and I've not seen one single report about what a person can really do to improve the immune response it's all about avoiding and uh, and like I said I think that there's something to be said for that but overall we need to do our best to improve immune uh, competence so I made a note here I think there are many reputable companies in the supplement industry that produce quality immune enhancing formulas um, so i'm not necessarily suggesting that you know you have to use any particular thing that i'm suggesting um and where i have i've done my best to really just uh, you know suggest more generic uh rec- make generic recommendations um so there are some additional nutrients that are shown to boost immune function and specifically decrease replication and mutation of pathogens and we're going to talk about those specifically uh because this is going to be real important you know, one of the things that's going on right now is the fact that we're obviously looking for this magic bullet, this vaccine. I'm going to suggest that we'll all be pretty disappointed if we sit around and choose to do nothing while we're waiting for this magical vaccine. Yeah. And more than likely, this vaccine will be different the following year, Mm -hmm. just like it has been for the others. Right. So, I, again, I'm going to suggest let's not sit around and twiddle our thumbs. Let's, let's move forward and let's do what we can to, uh, number one, hopefully prevent, and number two, help us move through it if, in
0: fact, we do succumb to uh, 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 you know, developing an infection. Hey, Jack, just real quick, um, sure. in terms of you, you know, you mentioned the, the case study in the, the Spanish flu and the outdoor beds and the whole deal. Yeah. Um, viruses tend to slow down in the summertime. Mm -hmm. Is that because people tend to go out in the sun in the summertime or does it have anything to do with heat?
1: I think probably a little bit of both. The the literature shows that that when vitamin D is deficient, it actually gives rise to influenza or to, to viruses, you know, kind of taking hold. We know that people are outdoors more during the summer, which means that they are producing more vitamin D and that may be the very factor because when we look at, at the time of the year when these would be more prevalent, it is, it's December, it's January, it's February. So yes, that's part of it. Uh, but you do bring up a point, is it the heat? And while some people would say yes, as, as things warm up, the, uh, the viruses are, are less barrel, but I would probably lean towards the vitamin D production, quite honestly. So everybody needs to go
0: outside get
1: outside that's right
0: (laughs) which which uh, actually is kind of ironic you know I'm not an expert on this but you know so everybody's now you know hunkering down at home indoors the whole thing when you think about it in the context of what you just shared that 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 in some ways I'm not talking about social distancing but but in some ways, if you're staying inside all day long and not going out, that potentially has a, an impact on on your immune system.
1: It absolutely does. And, and one to kind of add to that, Steve, is the, is the very fact they've done studies on this. Isolation creates stress response. Wow. A negative stress response. So, so as I was, you know, again thinking about this whole thing as I was typing some of this stuff out, I'm thinking. You know, that we do have a little bit of an advantage today in that we have what we're using right now. I mean, right. uh, so I would recommend to people, and this maybe goes back into that stress category that we just left, I would suggest FaceTiming loved ones and on a regular basis every day. Absolutely. Because isolation creates cortisol production, immune suppression, just like, as you mentioned, staying indoors does the same thing.
0: Wow. Okay. Fascinating. Good, good point. Very timely.
1: All right, so, so what I did was this: I put together three or four things I thought would be helpful for prevention. This is what I recommend to uh, my clientele. It's what I'm using. It's what my family uses, and this is more or less just what I would say would be kind of your your core basic support. Um, there's a product I like called Biomunizyme Forte. Now, this is a particular product by a particular company. I again don't think that it has to be that particular product, but I would suggest to people. So, to, to if they can, I know we're going to be doing this online, but look at products that contain key vitamins and minerals and enzymes, maybe botanicals, things that will support immune function. Um, because as we're going to see moving forward, things like selenium is very important uh, to you know to a, a uh, immune enhancing formula. Uh, so you want to kind of look for those particular items. But this ultimately. The idea is to try to support the immune system, to try to keep us kind of propped up, if you will, and keep us, as I said earlier, kind of moving in the right direction. This particular uh, formulation will help to support what's called the humoral and the uh, cellular immune response. So we're kind of hitting both sides of the immune system. And so, again, just kind of a base baseline to start. There's a, a substance called arabinogalactan, and arabinogalactans are basically um, a, a uh, kind of a fiber if you will and what has what they've shown with the research is that it's extremely effective in supporting immune function it increases natural killer cells it increases <laughs> the activity of the killer cells and at least from my standpoint uh, here in the office whenever I'm seeing you know people come in with uh, infectious processes it's something that I routinely you know put people on because, Any kind of viral bacterial pathogenic type infection is something that we would want to think about uh, when we're dealing with something along those lines. Now, I made a note on here that, uh, you know, dosages could be as much as one to three teaspoons during an active infection. I know that this past October, when there was a flu strain going around here uh, in Kerrville, um, that it kind of made the rounds through some of my family members. And so we were doing the uh on a regular basis, and uh, and I w- would suggest that uh, uh, we all responded pretty quickly, which is what we wanted. Cool. So we'll go to the next one, which I think everybody has has heard of the role that vitamin D plays uh, in in the immune response and kind of keeping us, uh, you know. Uh, clear of some of these things because as mentioned a few moments ago it's pretty clear with what they have researched which is that as vitamin d levels fall we are actually opening up the body to an infection to walk in and kind of set up shop wow. as it mentions here vitamin d creates over 200 antimicrobial peptides in the body that serve as natural broad spectrum antibiotics and the ability to ward off colds influenza, and other respiratory infections is greatly reduced when vitamin d levels fall So this is quite common during the winter months. And um, then uh, it has been shown to be very effective with uh, helping to reduce inflammatory reactions. Now, I think I mentioned it earlier, but the cytokine storm, which is what really tends to kind of push people over the edge, so to speak, uh, with these upper respiratory infections, vitamin D has been shown effective to help kind of temper and reduce that cytokine storm. Hmm. So, I, you know, my thought is probably anywhere from about two to 8,000 uh, units a day. Now, we could take more, and if people know that they have a low vitamin D, like, for example, I, I had a young lady in here yesterday, uh, mid-30s, whose vitamin D level is a 16. Now, I'm looking for at least a 45 to a 50. Wow. So, she's sitting at a 16, and she's been taking a vitamin A, D, and K combination for the past five years. And she says she takes it religiously. So there's a couple of questions here. Number one, is she really taking it religiously? She says she is, so maybe maybe she is. But number two, how is she absorbing this? So one of the things that I like to look for, and I would suggest everybody consider looking for, if they're looking for vitamin D, is look for one that is emulsified. Something that's kind of pre-digested and is going to raise the level of vitamin D in the body whether they have a good digestive system or not um there are a lot of companies out there that put out uh an emulsified vitamin d and again i would say probably somewhere between two and eight thousand units a day and again as you see here on the slide children would be on the lower end Uh, it's like my 12 year old he gets two drops a day and uh, whereas myself i'm usually about four or five drops a day got it Um, This is probably, I think I mentioned to you the other day, Steve, when we talked, uh, this might be the sleeper uh, of all of them. And it's a a, a substance, an amino acid combination called N-acetylcysteine or NAC. So if nobody out there has heard of NAC, you got to just Google it. You'll find an awful lot to read. But the bottom line is this is so important for the immune system. It is extremely well-researched. It's proven to have direct and indirect antiviral effects, And specifically, it helps to modulate something called nuclear factor uh, kappa B pathway or NF-kappa B pathway. And here's what this is. This basically is an inflammatory pathway. This is the pathway that starts leading into the cytokine storm. So by modulating and and kind of balancing the NF-kappa B pathway, we can actually block viral replication. Wow. So what they have shown with NAC is that we can reduce viral replication, and by re- reducing viral re- replication, we also have an impact on the mutation that takes effect. So like I said, this, this could be very well one of the most important things uh, that I, I can suggest at this time with what's going on. Uh, pretty easily found. I mean, you can find it at health food stores. You can find it online. Uh, NAC is NAC. So uh, you should be able to find a, a pretty good quality product out there. A couple of other things though I wanna mention about it has anti-mucolytic effects. Well, we know that whenever that inflammation builds up in the, in the lungs and the bronchial tubes, it's that inflammation that is creating lack of circulation, lack of oxygen you know, to, uh, to the lungs. And so we can actually thin this out with NAC because NAC has a thinning mucolytic effect. Uh, so we could actually say it's more you know, kind of an expectorant kind of helps to break things loose. Uh, more specifically, and this might be kind of the reason behind the scenes, Steve, is that NAC converts to glutathione and we know that glutathione is the most powerful antioxidant in the body. In fact, let me kind of give you a little little tidbit of information here just to kind of put it in perspective. When we look at, one milligram of vitamin C. One milligram of vitamin C can essentially neutralize approximately three to four uh, free radicals. Whereas one milligram of glutathione can neutralize approximately one million free radicals. It's hugely-
0: Huge difference.
1: Yeah. Now, with that said, in all fairness to vitamin C, vitamin C does a lot of great things for us. I don't want to downplay that, but as far as an antioxidant effect, glutathione may be the, the real key here um so what we'll see is we're going to see that depletion of, of NAC will cause immune suppression and we know that obviously lowered levels of NAC is going to result in lower levels of glutathione and this would be associated with increased bioreplication replication and mutation and as I mentioned here dosages can be increased to between four to eight thousand milligrams a day during active infections
0: gotcha. um
1: recommended amount at this point, uh, kind of prevention is about 12 to 1800. Um, I tend to sometimes do a little more than, than probably what's necessary. So, uh, I'm taking about 2000 milligrams myself presently. Um, so anyway, this is something that I would suggest everybody consider, um, adding to their plan really as soon as they can. Fascinating. All right. So now, you know, we, uh we talked a little bit uh, again the other day about, well, what can we do to prevent, but then also what can we do for acute care? And so that's more or less the reason I started off with a little disclaimer. Don't, uh, don't uh, uh, you know stay at home if you really do need to get to the, to the doctor. But, uh, but there are things for people who want to kind of maybe think outside the box uh, and, and to do what we can to help the body help itself. So as we just left off with glutathione, I'm going to mention a little bit about it. Obviously, the most potent antioxidant in the body. It's involved in immune function, detoxification, cider protection. It raises the pH. You'll notice there's the pH comment again, and it's highly effective antiviral. It inhibits viral proteases, which counters viral infection. So let me just kind of talk to you about that. So what happens is viruses, viruses come into the body, and what they do is they kind of start um, uh, secreting the these uh, proteases. And, and this helps them actually, for lack of a better description here, Steve, break into your cells. And once they break in, they hijack the cell. Now that they've hijacked the cell, they can literally get into the machinery and start the process of replicating themselves. So... What glutathione is shown to do is glutathione inhibits viral proteases. So what it does is it basically blocks the viral proteases, which then inhibits the viruses from being able to get into the cell and actually start causing the problems. So that's why it's really so very important. There are some questions concerning absorption through the gut. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've seen, I've seen, seen people do well with uh, oral glutathione. And I've also questioned, is somebody seen some improvements? So most of the companies have switched and gone to liposomal based products. Again, you can find these, but the liposomal glutathione is supposed to improve absorption rates. But again, uh, this is something that that certainly could be added to somebody's plan during acute care and or even preventative care, but definitely during, during acute care. Now, these next two, I want to I wanna kind of preface by saying if you're taking glutathione and or if you're taking NAC, you probably wouldn't need these next two items, meaning glycine and glutamine. But glycine and glutamine, along with NAC, combine, it's, it's a tripeptide, and the three of these come together and they actually produce glutathione. So over the years, what has happened is because of the comments or the concerns about glutathione not being as easily absorbed, the goal has been, well, let's just support synthesis and production of glutathione by giving things like NAC and glycine and glutamine and lipoic acid. So there's several things that are shown to actually produce glutathione. And I want to mention that here, that if somebody is using glutathione, they may not need these things, but these again are options. Um, Which kind of takes me to the next one down here, lipoic acid. Lipoic acid, I mean, this is a fat-soluble and water-soluble antioxidant. It also helps with production of glutathione, and then interesting enough, it, it's involved in kind of um, uh, remanufacturing, recharging, as it mentions here, other antioxidants, C and E and CoQ10. It helps to kind of uh, bring those back in, and so therefore, it's supporting mitochondrial function. Now let me back up a second. We were talking about viruses getting into the cell and hijacking the cell. What they're doing is they're, they're getting in To the mitochondria, they're changing the way that the mitochondria functions. And this is why so many people feel so fatigued whenever they have the flu, is because mitochondrial function is is dialed back. It's really suppressed. So we have to do things to upregulate mitochondrial function, and it happens to be that lipoic acid, vitamin C, E, CoQ10, and glutathione are some of the most important things for mitochondrial function
0: got it.
1: Oops. Last one down here is quercetin dihydrate. Uh, people may have heard of quercetin. It's, it's a, a great flavonoid, uh, helps with viral anti-inflammatory. It's immune balancing, which is one of the reasons that I, I put this in here is because, again, we want an immune system that is effective and efficient, but we also want an immune system that's not out of control. So This uh, quercetin helps to actually regulate or control the T regulatory cells, and they do just that. They regulate the immune response. So, by kind of controlling the T regulatory cells, we can keep the immune system's response in check. Therefore, we can attack things like we're supposed to, but hopefully, we're not seeing things like cytokine storm. Mention a couple things here. Uh, There's an herb called andrographis. Some great research on this, Steve. Uh, This is really kind of more of a uh, definitely acute care because it's for short term. But they've done studies, and the studies show that it does help to regulate fevers. It's specific for respiratory infections. Again, helps to kind of balance the cytokine response. And most of the studies, I've seen several of them, where they show that usually within about 48 hours of, of implementing andrographis, they can really see a nice change in symptoms. Recommended amount would probably be around three to four hundred milligrams uh, a couple times a day. Uh, I think the idea is to look for concentrated extracts containing about fifty percent um, of the uh, andrographolides, which is the active active comment, uh, uh, compound that's in the andrographis. So that's a really good one. It's that's something that um, that I personally would use in the event of some type of of infection. Then a couple things here, and I'll take them together, selenium and zinc. Both of these are important for immune function. I think everybody's probably heard of zinc. Uh, You know, they're everything from zinc lozenges um, to, uh, I forget the name of the other one, but anyway, uh, pretty common uh, for people to use these. Selenium, same thing, but you'll see here on selenium, it does play a critical role in glutathione production so once again we see that when there's a deficiency we're seeing a depressed immune function again i believe that ties probably back to its role in production of glutathione right Vitamin a supports basically uh mucosal membranes the uh so when we think about that we're thinking obviously about um the throat and the nasal passages i mean so that comes to mind, and vitamin A is important for the immune system uh, of the mucosal lining. It stimulates uh, antibody levels uh, in the SIGA. Uh, overall, it uh, is more specific, I would say, for lung and respiratory. And once again, like the vitamin D, I, I do prefer and recommend the emulsified forms. I, I, the absorption rate is just so much better. And on recommendations here... Uh, you know, typically the rule of thumb is to just recommend 25,000 units because that's about all that anybody really wants to touch, uh, meaning uh, to kind of keep themselves out of hot water. Uh, I I recommended here 25,000 to 100,000 IU daily, and I indicated here that higher doses should only be used for about two to three weeks. Now, again, for myself uh, and my person, my family, my immediate family. It wouldn't be unusual for somebody in my family if they had an upper respiratory infection to use anywhere in the neighborhood of maybe two to 250,000 units a day for anywhere from, say, 7 to 10 days and then start gradually titrating back. Um, I, I don't see a problem with it, but the literature would say, you know, you don't want to use more than 25,000 for too long of a period. But it's very, very effective at uh, respiratory uh, health. Right. I won't mention a lot here on vitamin C. I think most people have heard and or read and know something about vitamin C, but it is interesting. You'll recall what I just mentioned regarding vitamin C and glutathione. Um, vitamin C does scavenge free radicals, but not at the rate that glutathione does. Yep. There's some brand new research that uh, has come out actually of China, So for whatever that's worth, uh, but, but they were showing that uh, using IV vitamin C at 25 to 50 grams was, was very effective against the coronavirus. Hmm. So, you know, again, uh, some of the, uh, some of the docs that might be listening to this would have access to that. And that's certainly something that they may want to, you know, to look at if in fact they needed it. I, you know, from a preventative standpoint, we don't need IVC but um but certainly in an infectious process maybe we could use something like that otherwise i i do uh prefer the ascorbate form um i think it's best if you're going to use it orally i generally recommend about a thousand milligrams two to three times a day and or up to bowel tolerance now the other thing that people can use is something called an ascorbate flush and if they're not familiar, familiar with the ascorbate flush, it's basically taking ascorbate to the point that you create a very loose, watery bowel. And in doing so, you flush out toxins. Um, so it's very effective to do. However, obviously, if somebody's already dehydrated or if they're already having some, some loose bowel issues due to an infection, they probably don't want to do something like that couple of things here I want to kind of uh, finish up with, which in my opinion, Steve, this, this could be one of the most, uh, important, uh, let's say life-saving medicines that I think everybody in the world should have, uh, at their house or wherever they, wherever they reside and that's baking soda. And so here's, what's interesting with viruses, viruses, uh, For the most part, the large majority, vast majority of viruses are what they call pH dependent. Yeah. So what this means is that viruses do well in an acidic pH. It means that they can basically fuse. You remember a while ago we were talking about how the virus will kind of fuse with the cell and and work its way into the cell. So they fuse better when they're down at maybe, let's say, a 5.0 or 6.0 pH level. But when the pH is raised, it basically inactivates the virus. And as yeah. I as I wrote here, it's uh, most of these viruses that are pH, or I should say all of them that are pH dependent, become irreversibly inactivated by even brief treatments at an alkaline uh, pH or an 8.0 pH. And wow. you can get there with baking soda. Really? So uh, I myself, I've, I've used baking soda for many years. And um I have gone to an 8.0 on several times, not, not for indefinite periods, but you know, may go to 8.0 for 48 to 72 hours. And uh, so this is the literature. When, when, when the uh, pH raise, uh, uh, goes up, alkalinizes, we actually shift our ability. We, in, we improve what's called um, uh, voltage, cell voltage. And when we Im- improve the voltage of the cell, we basically are making it so that the cell is healthier and essentially viruses cannot survive in that. So the idea is to maybe consider using in a, in acute care and or even prevention. I didn't put it in, in in preventative care, but, um, but in acute care, using baking soda to bump the pH up and to actually help lessen the severity of the infection. I, I actually also, uh, had pulled off earlier in the week, I pulled up some, uh, information on back during the 1918 epidemic, um, uh, Spanish flu epidemic. There was, uh, a doctor who was using baking soda and based on the limited information I have, supposedly he did not use, lose a single patient during that time. Wow. And he alkalinized with, with baking soda. So, um, and again, I think most people probably already know Arm & Hammer baking soda's been around for something like 125 <clears> years. time. So moving the pH a little bit alkaline, uh, as I've mentioned here, maybe in the 6.8 to 7.2 range can help to reduce the risk and at the same time lessen the severity of the infections. One could use low dosages for actually several weeks. Uh, it's not uncommon for me to recommend somebody to have like a half to three quarters of a teaspoon of baking soda Sometime in the late evening before they go to bed, just to help alkalinize, you know, through the night. So that's something that they could use. But in times of infections, uh, a person can use up to an adult can use up to three and a half teaspoons a day for as long as two weeks. So this is something that I think we just all, you know, we should all have on hand, which actually kind of rolls right into this next recommendation here, which is a nebulizer. And again, this is something that I think to go right along with the baking soda, every household should have a nebulizer. Um, I I think now right now with everything that's going on, they may be a little bit harder to find, but you can get them online for about $40. Um, And and again, I think everybody ought to have one uh, and everybody ought to even consider ordering extra uh, mouthpieces for them, just so everybody kind of has their own. But the idea is that when we nebulize things like baking soda and or glutathione we can get we can get the sodium bicarbonate or the glutathione directly into the lung tissue we can get it directly to the site of the inflammation directly to the site of the uh extreme acidic uh you know tissue and that's actually where kind of the sepsis starts coming in for a lot of people's so when that tissue gets so inflamed and kind of bogged down then sepsis starts setting in so by doing this, we can get baking soda glutathione right to the tissue. And at the same time, then we're going to raise pH. And anytime we raise pH, we raise oxygenation. <clears throat> so again, we know that if we're going to heal, we've got to be able to get oxygen to the site. So the idea would be to consider a nebulizer uh, to, to really deliver these tiny particles really, you know, deep into the lungs so that we can uh, uh, basically impact the infection quickly and effectively.
0: Excellent. Do you have a nebulizer? I did. I'm gonna get one now. Okay. <laughs> well, it's good to do. It's, it's good to have. All right.
1: And then I wanna mention a couple other things along the lines of, of nebulizing. There's a product out there called Glutogenesis. Again, I have no connection to the company, but this is a, is a uh, glutathione compound a liquid that can be nebulized and or uh nasal spray and basically you, you get all the benefits of the glutathione but it's applied directly to the nasal passages and or the lungs Good. and so one or two sprays of this uh uh like in the morning and then maybe one or two in the evening or afternoon is very helpful to kind of line the uh the mucosal membranes at the same time up regulate your glutathione levels and kind of help keep you protected now I, I personally use this product glutogenesis but uh i don't use the nose the nasal spray i'll use it in a nebulizer and with that use one to two milliliters uh, uh add that to the nebulizer once or twice a day and basically just breathe the mist. it takes about probably 10 minutes for per milliliter to do maybe 15 or 20 minutes for two milliliters but um, you could do that and certainly increase your glutathione uh uptake as well as kind of align the nasal passages and lungs with glutathione to be effective against any type of viruses uh i made a note here i think you can find this online at glutagenic.com and then lastly steve it for consideration is uh our saunas you know far infrared saunas something called a biomat now I've seen literature out there where, where people in fact I think there was a thread the other day on the on the Crown Council Network about well saunas can't kill the virus because they can't they can't get to those temps. They can't get the body to those temps. But more specifically, what the infrared uh, ultraviolet radiation does is it actually helps the body to kill the viruses.
0: Ah, gotcha.
1: So as you'll see here, expands capillaries, it stimulates blood flow, it increases oxygenation. It speeds up the metabolic rate by stimulating mitochondria. And when we stimulate mitochondria, we're going to trigger enzyme activity, which actually kills pathogens. So it's not the heat that we're looking for. It's the ultraviolet light from the infrared sauna that we're really looking for. The heat is nice. You know, I, I have a sauna here in the office and I use it twice a week. So the heat feels great. It's very relaxing, but it's the infrared energy that I'm getting that's actually doing the work so the literature shows it strengthens the immune system uh stimulates white blood cells killer cells and then it's involved with everything from rebuilding damaged tissue uh, from any kind of trauma they're showing now for cardiovascular events high blood pressure i mean you name it uh heating the body up, the core temp is fantastic which is really why i left off here with these last two quotes give me the power to produce fever and I will cure all disease. This was a very old quote. And if indeed any were so good a physician as to be able to produce fever, it would not be necessary to look for any other remedy in sickness. Wow! So this has long been known that if you're going to heal the body, you have to raise the core temp. And in doing so, we can stimulate all these things using infrared saunas, and, and a biomat. Uh, are you familiar with a biomat?
0: I, I am, yes. Okay. So,
1: again, I, you know, are, are they as effective as a sauna? Maybe not. Uh, do, they, do they offer a lot of benefits because they do offer infrared uh, heat? Yes, they do. And if a person, uh, you know, again, I'm going to suggest this isn't going to be something that a person orders whenever they have an acute infection, but if it's something that somebody considers moving forward just for overall health, these are two of the best things uh, that one could get to kind of help with that. Excellent. And with that, that covers kind of preventative and what I would call acute care.
0: That's, um, man, Jack, that is that is amazing information uh, on, on both accounts and a lot of things that um, are not being said, which is huge. Mm-hmm. So um, thank you for putting all that together for us. There's uh, a lot of opportunities there, I think just on the nutrition side, as well as the supplementation side to not only keep, keep healthy, but um, you know, also to, to get back healthy as well. So um, right. well, every time, every time I am with you, I always learn a ton and we've hung out a lot over the years, but every single time I get, I, I get an education. So thank you for, compiling all that in a way that uh, even I can understand that's the that's the real test if I can understand it anybody can understand
1: it well you're very welcome Steve it's always a pleasure to to be with you and to get to do something with the Crown Council so uh, I appreciate the opportunity
0: contact information for you
1: uh, telephone number here at the office is eight three zero eight nine six zero five five zero email information. Actually, you know what? I think it's on the first slide of the presentation here. All right. It, it, my, my email, uh, you could reach me at uh, office
0: at manaf4yourhealth.com. Gotcha. Perfect. Jack, thank you so much. Thanks for the education and thanks for uh, sticking with us for so many years to get everybody to work on their habits and do the right thing to, to stay healthy and be healthy. We appreciate you very, very much.
1: Well, you are very welcome. Take care, Steve. How can you eat anything?
0: Yeah, thank you.